Yo, Kyle, this is Kaj coming to you from the big island of Hawaii, where I'm out here on a blue water spearfishing tuna hunting trip. Just came up from a couple different drops, and while we haven't found any tuna so far, we've seen a whale shark, two humpback whales, a bunch of dolphins. It's a reminder that there's an entire marine ecosystem down there. And it's gorgeous. And while I know you have a broken wing right now, uh, so I'll do the free diving and the spearfishing for both of us, I just wanted to give you a shout out because I owe all of this magic and beauty that I'm seeing right now underwater uh, in a lot of ways to you because you got me into the sport of spearfishing. It's a pretty epic way to catch your own food, to eat what you kill, to practice sustainable living, um, and to commune with, with the ocean, which, as you know, is one of my favorite environments. So I think part of the beauty of our friendship is that uh, I teach you things, you teach me things, but I just wanted to express some, some gratitude uh, for this moment here from Hawaii. So mahalo and aloha. I'll be listening on the podcast. Ah, gee, I love it when my friends call in. That was the voice of Kaj, and you will hear Kaj's voice coming up again in the intro when he says, I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Uh, Kaj is a war correspondent and a Navy SEAL. He was also episode one of this podcast way back when. And he's done a lot to bring... Um, the discussion of torture, specifically waterboarding, out into the public debate. He was the first journalist to be waterboarded on TV. This is around the time that George Bush was implementing the torture technique of waterboarding, um, and Kaj decided to put it out into the public domain um, back when he was working for Current TV, and uh, I think did a lot for the conversation. If anyone out there listening to this podcast wants to send me a little voice memo, you can do it on your phone using the Voice Memos app. Just let me know who you are, where you're listening from, something you're excited about. Maybe you have a question for me. I'd be happy to answer it here uh, and try and keep it under a minute. I will uh, and email it to info at kyle.surf. That's it. Info at kyle.surf. Do it now. I'm going to read a quick excerpt from the book the, the psychedelic explorer's guide which is the book that i'm selling on my website kyle.surf in this month's box of goodies along with a can of mud water and a can of santa cruz medicinals cbd coconut oil and you can get these three products on my website at a huge discount kyle.surf if any of you have already ordered your box and you're like where the fuck is it uh it is coming soon um, I'm doing all of this myself. So if you ordered it, you know, at the beginning of February, all of the, the February and March orders are coming out within the next week. Uh, but I do apologize for any delay. Here is the passage that I, uh, am going to read. There is a door within the self. When this door is opened, a unity is revealed that encompasses all beings and transcends all boundaries. Mystics in every religious system, in every culture, and in every age have reported this to be the highest truth. 
Those who have had such an experience agree that the state is elusive and usually recalled only in fragments. However, those who have achieved even a moment of this visionary understanding consider it of incalculable value. Um, it's a great book. Uh, I recommend it. And if you want to read it and also get some mud water and Santa Cruz Medicinal's CBD cocoa oil, head over to kyle.surf and get them before they're gone. Uh, mud water is a chai mushroom blend that I put in my morning brew most mornings. Uh, and it's got cacao and reishi and lion's mane. They're a new company that was started by one of my best friends. And similarly, uh, Santa Cruz Medicinals was um, started by another close friend of mine. Uh, they make non-psychoactive CBD products. So if you... Um, want to use CBD for inflammation, joint pain. Um, they make products for that. And you can use the code name KYLE10 to get 10% off all products of scmedicinals.com. These guys sponsor every episode of the podcast. I'm really grateful. It helps me prioritize the show. And for anyone out there who donates on Patreon, even just a few bucks a month, that also helps to um, allow me to prioritize this this podcast and get bigger guests and drive further distances. Um, as you might imagine, it does take a certain amount of time to pull this thing off every week, a couple times a week, get bigger guests, um, booking them, recording with them. Um, and all the money that you guys do donate, um, it really does help me um, make this thing better. So thank you to everyone. You can click the link below this episode where it says buy me a cup of coffee on Patreon if you like, uh, or you can do it on my website, kyle.surf. If you don't have the money to buy any of these products or donate or do anything, do not worry about it. Seriously, continue to listen Go out there, be a good person, save your money, don't buy shit you don't need. But if you do have a little extra cash uh, and you want some good products or you want to donate to this show, um, that's a great way to do it. I'm also an Amazon affiliate, so if you go to my website, kyle.surf, scroll down a little bit, click the Amazon link, um, I will get a small percentage of anything that you buy on Amazon at no cost to you. So that's those are all the ways that you can support the podcast. I will shut up now. I won't shut up now. I'll shut up about that, but I'm going to keep talking. I'm going to be out in Austin, Texas, April 4th through 7th with Chris Ryan. We're going to do an event to talk about the Motherfucker Awards, uh, most likely that Friday. Event space is to be determined. Uh, we're going to be doing some podcasts with the guys from On It, uh, so we might do the event there. We might just go to a bar, and if you're in Austin and you want to come out and meet us and have a beer, give us a high five. Um, Maybe we'll do it there, but there'll be information on social media and I'll keep talking about it on this podcast. I will also be in Rhode Island giving a speech on plastic pollution on April 10th at the University of Rhode Island. It is open to the public. And uh, if you're in the area, I would love to meet you. April 10th, University of Rhode Island. This episode of the podcast is with Tyler Fox and Ian O'Halloran, uh, who is name in my phone is Ian Kelp Dude. Ian is an expert in kelp. He's harvesting California seaweed uh, through his company Sequoia Wild, Sequoia. And Tyler Fox is uh, 
Pro Surfer, one of the best guys out at Mavericks, makes the final in the contest most years that they run it, and is also the founder of Santa Cruz Waves Magazine, which I write for. Uh, both these guys are my friends. I love talking shit with them. We talked about kelp. We talked about big wave surfing. We went around, all around the place, all around the place, as we do, and uh, love having my friends on the show because it doesn't feel like work. Please welcome to the show, Tyler and Ian. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. It's not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. been a slow season for kelp kelp me you're the original kelp, kelp stalker <laughs> i stalk the inner title bro yeah before they run away <laughs> like the grunion run is coming uh, you know one thing i noticed is that uh, uh mushroom hunters always say hunting but mm. animal hunters say they're gonna harvest an animal true that's a good that point to make interesting not funny yeah i think it's maybe a little bridge that needs to be gapped between it's just an taking easier a life way. and plucking a mushroom right you know yeah. we're a little more humble and you sensitive murder kelp <laughs> we forge we lightly gently comb the earth yeah <laughs> if, if you haven't watched ian in action it's it's something to uh to witness he he is out there like a ninja on the kelp it's it's quite incredible i i shot photos Thanks, of him Betty. for uh, an article in our magazine and <laughs> Uh, he's out there just like, looks like a little like rock crab, like grab a little here, grab a little there and like scurries back. It's like, you just got caught me on the day when it was cranking out there and it was like double overhead pounding. Break down what this situation looks like when you're out gathering kelp. Yeah. So let's play, let's just make a visual. Bring me into that world. Let's go into that world. So if we're harvesting the inner tidal zone, that's a whole other thing because it's, Imagine you're walking through your garden and you're tiptoeing around. You have your plants at your strategic place. You, you companion planted, so everything's in symbiotic relationship with each other. So that's the way I look at the the wild environment. I look at it and I say, "Wow, look look how this is growing together." I'm tiptoeing around. Just I got a little knife. I'm just slightly cutting it, but the setting's insane. There's yeah, and, and, and how is that? Of, like tiptoeing? You say tiptoeing around. You're on like <laughs> slippery ass kelp with a knife. Yeah, I got it. I got a pretty <laughs> shady system of horrible boots that have holes in them. It's, but hey, and you throw do the wetsuit on. I would imagine booties. you do it at low tide. Low tide, and there's different species, like layers. You know, if you look at a forest, it's the same sort of idea. You know, if it exists above and below. So if you, when we, when we all dove, dove together, we see like the tiered layers of like macrocystis and bull kelp. And then, then we got the lower layers of like laminaria and, um, um, what's the other one, uh, the wakame, the alarias and, and things like that. So it's the same sort of thing, but you know, you have like sea palm that like lives further out and then you got like the dwarf rockweed and this, the, the feather boa kelp that lives in the intertidal too. Um, and what kind of kelp are you going for? So uh, there's like 10 to 15 species that live on this coast that are just so amazing for culinary uses. It's incredible. So, and it all stemmed from just 
me wanting to create a fertilizer from kelp, which I did, and it's CDFA and OMRI approved, which is pretty pretty badass. Um, probably one of the first in the in the here in in the state. So kelp is great for fertilizer. We have fertilizer, and then the chefs created the like the hype around it, you know, and they're the ones that I look towards and like look up to to like have this creation like uh they send me these photos of this fine dining with this local kelp just north of santa cruz that we harvested down in big sur and it's like freaking blown away yeah. you know yeah. um and what was that um was it iodine that people that many people are deficient in and, yeah and, and, and that kelp has like a, an amazing amount of is, is it iodine? amazing amount of iodine, iodine. yeah so that took me on a whole another journey because I tested it. So that was cool because I have a horticulture background from the Big Island, as you guys as you guys know. And so um, we tested the macrocyst. It's a giant kelp. When you look off Pleasure Point, West Cliff, that's the kelp forest right? that dominate from like here south to like Baja. So macrocystis is what we're diving in. That's what we're diving in. Okay. And neurocystis lucana, the bull kelp. If I'm saying the scientific names correctly, but that's that's. That's how you okay, say <laughs> so that's like the the top, the the canopy. Yeah, the that's big our forest. Canopy. That's our like that's our sanctuary. You know, where we hide out and if we see right. man, creates habitat man for a lot of fish. Suit. Yeah. Okay. Um. So what was oh so I tested that, which is amazing. Um, radiation from Fukushima. It's like let's see if it's in it. You know, it's been mm. what six six years, seven years now. Um nutritional analysis, microbiology, like salmonella, E. coli, listeria, molds, right. yeasts. Um, Iodine yeah. is important if you are exposed to radiation. Is that correct? Yeah, so okay. it can help. They treat they treat uh, people that have cancer with, I think it's iodine-131 anyway, but it's also great for the thyroid. So, when I, so we, we took this kelp after I tested it, harvested like 1,500 pounds by hand, freeze-dried it at this facility, couple hours east of here um it's super potent and the iodine's very very rich um so you need like a little bit of this powder to get 100 percent your daily value of iodine so it's incredible i thought it was gonna be like a smoothie supplement when i created it i was like oh, this is gonna be epic everyone scoops it in the morning because it has like 70 vitamins and minerals in it um and that's all like scientifically proven and tested um but the iodine was so high because of the potency, because of the way we freeze dried is it, um, it creates, it, it dries it from the inside out instead of the outside in as you would with sun drying or oven drying. Um, so it preserves like mm. cryopreservation. It's like the opposite of a microwave. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so it's drying it at like minus temperatures. Epic invention. Whoever created freeze drying. That's how we're going to like survive. And if we want to be reborn sure. in like 100 years so, so you're out there you're, you're out on the north coast you're cutting kelp with a knife at low tide yeah do you throw it in bags put it in nets yeah put it in yeah so harvest is what i just what i need though that's like the main that's like one of my main philosophies just like take what i need i got an order whatever so restaurant wants five pounds ten pounds just take that um store it for like and i'll get a little extra for the farmer's markets for the week and then i run out and then i go out and get more so yeah put it in a cooler drive it back commercial kitchen you, set it up you go east and you freeze dry dry all the kelp no that so sell? that's just yeah so the the supplement i'm doing is just the freeze-dried one um everything else is fresh or sun-dried or dehydrated or kelp chips or seasonings right i'm about to work with this guy in malibu that's doing um i don't know if i should drop his name right now but he's doing um california sea salt from malibu and it's and he tests it same thing same process 
we're gonna mix that in. So there's a lot of products you can do, and um, but you got to be very mindful of the resource because just as like we uh, we manage our wild resources on land, it's the same in the sea. We don't want to like there's proper ways to harvest it. You know, you don't want to like there's there's different life stages and cycles that are going to undergoing reproductive um, reproduction. Um, so yeah, you won't take too much. So you get iodine from kelp. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some other benefits that you get from kelp? Because I've so, eaten some of those kelp chips, but I didn't yeah. know that this was some kind of uh, superfood. So nori, for example, so there's reds, browns, and greens. That's how they rhodophyta, phaophyta, chlorophyta. Um, they're high, like the reds, nori is traditionally high on like digestible protein, calcium, um, green and is that due to the uh the pigment like is that how you named them because they're reddish or yeah it's just yeah the color oh. yeah just off the color of the plant some of them look a little like oh that's olive but it's br- it's a brown it looks mm. a little greener but it's a brown um so yeah you got magnesium manganese chloride zinc so- sodium of course iron potassium phosphorus iodine of course um uh, what we tested for the macro system was vitamin A, vitamin, a little bit of vitamin B12, vitamin C. The list goes on like upwards of 70 plus minerals. So that's like the, the macro minerals. And then there's the trace minerals are just abundant, very, very abundant. So it's pretty <laughs> You're crazy. Just scurrying around on rocks, <laughs> grabbing this stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty bizarre lifestyle, yeah. and I'm spend a lot of time out there alone because it's just me right now doing this, and so I get I have a pretty vivid imagination while I'm out there. <laughs> why, why are, aren't more people doing what you're doing? Well, it's just kind of a weird thing to do, you know. And in the Western world, not really many people have caught on to seaweeds, you know. In Asia, everyone's all about it, and that's their staple: seaweed and and fish and mm. and rice and and they, and they live the longest out of like any live culture a long time you know and so yeah i mean i when i do my farmers markets it's a full it's a full social experiment you know i look at people's faces as they look at my my setup and some are like seaweed and they walk by others are like give me this little like they don't look at me but they give me the, they give a little look like oh like, <laughs> like, like and, and like, how do you sell oh. it at the farmers market Fresh. I do like um, I do dried too, all the same ways, and then I do like a kelp chip. Um, do like we do the seasoning this year. We're releasing the supplement, uh, and yeah, just playing around. With sea, like a furikake. That's another one I want to do too. Like local California furikake. That's like the the Japanese <laughs> vari- like little blend that you put on the rice of the poke. <laughs> yeah, yeah dude, that's what's up. Yeah, I was down in Chile uh, last year, and the bull kelp is one of the main staples at farmers markets. There, you walk no down way. these roads, and uh, it's fish and these huge bundles of bull kelp. You know, that's like, it almost looks like a like a bale of hay or something like that. You can buy the bull kelp. That, so a lot of other countries are onto it. It's and, fresh or dried. Uh, it is. It, it like they they get it and they just dry it out there at the farmers market. It just, it smells like dried seaweed. What? Yeah. Seaweed what do they it. use it for? Do you think? I don't know. They must I was walking out these it. farmers markets. Like, what are you guys doing with this bull kelp? You're whipping people. <laughs> Well, you know, it does. does they uh, make for a, a good whip. So, so how did you get into this? <laughs> so, yeah, Hawaii, big island. And foraging out there, diving, hunting, and just living off the land. Had a homestead out there. And it's in Poke, Ogo, the Limu. And so we... Um, what is that? Limu seaweed in, in Hawaii. Okay. Um, 
so I, and I wanted to create the fertilizer, but so I was like, I bail. I ended up working on a farm up in, in Northern California when I came back, but I was like, I'm making a fertilizer. That's what I'm doing. So I got into it that way, working on an urchin boat in Half Moon Bay with a um, old friend of mine. And then, yeah, we were, met all these seafood distributors and they were asking about seaweeds and the, he like, and the guy knew and he kind of showed me a couple spots like, yeah, I think some live here and there. And I was like, well, I know where some kelp beds are. And then um, he took me to this one zone and I was like, whoa, like look at all these other species. So I started finding my, I identified them, got this, this bitchin book and just, yeah, I just started ide- identifying What them. was the book called? It's called like Seaweeds of the Pacific, um, like Alaska to Baja or something. I forget the author, but um, so yeah, it's a real good ID book and I just go out and start IDing them, bring, uh, identifying them, bringing them to the seafood distributors and they were like, sweet, start selling them to restaurants. I was like, all right, here we go. Like, this will be the catalyst to the next stage and like, this will find this, this next pro- like thing I want to do, but I'm really into this too. You know, it was like, this is, this is rad. <laughs> People are eating these like, and then, um, yeah, that's kind of how it stemmed. And then, and then I just went full on with it. I started hitting up restaurants. And how do, what form do the restaurants buy? The they buy kelp? it just straight fresh or, or dried sometimes. Okay. And yeah. what kind of, uh, foods do they make it into? How do they then sell it to the customers? They, yeah, they'll make like, I had sold to a restaurant down, um, in Venice. They have this amazing seaweed salad. So it's, I think they just, they don't even blanch it. I think it's just all raw. Um, sell to a sushi restaurant. So it's like high end new uh, one in New York that, they, I don't even honestly don't even know what he does. Like well, the way he processes it, I'm like, he infuses it. Just some crazy, you know, like he's some um, French guy, and he just knew what he wanted too. He just hit me up. He's like, I want the cat's tongue. He's all, he's like, I want the dwarf rock weed, and I want the bladder rock. <laughs> I was all sick. All right, I got you. Yeah. Do you know what kind of? <laughs> so he knew what he wanted. Uh, do you know what kind of kelp uh, the seaweed salad is made out of at most? I think it's sushi restaurants. There's like well, wakame is a um, a pretty popular one, or um, Arame, Arame, I think that's how you say it, but that green slimy one that's sweet and tastes like sesame oil, all these companies are just tainting people's perception on what seaweed is. Um, No, very few people besides the Native Americans that used to live here, they're probably the last that really utilized the resource. Like there's people up in Mendocino, Sonoma, um, that are pretty OG and been doing this for 40 plus years too. But yeah, it's not like fishing's and then farming, you know, it's not a real young generational thing, you know, like mm-hmm. the oldest farm, like the average age of a farmer in the United States is like 67 or something like mm-hmm. that, you know? Um, Definite disconnect there, huh? Yeah, I feel, I feel like, yeah. So definitely. you were uh, urchin farming. Up in Half Moon Bay, it was why no, he was diving for diving him. for yeah. urchin. Yeah, and how are you using? How are you selling the urchin? He was I don't. He had a different markets. He was right. utilizing yeah, selling it too. See, like seafood. Everyone's like, it's like the fishing world. Like the cut, the, the the seafood distributor is like setting the price. Like it's really, it's a it's a fickle world. You know, right. I've had I've had to really figure that out too to get people to try and introduce seaweeds to people more in this specifically in this area and and just coming up with fun ways to turn them on to it. So we right. do like cooking classes with it at New Leaf. Um, done like eight of those. So probably like 60 to 80 people or so come to those. So it's just like education, education. Um, yeah. But. So my friend Taylor, who's uh, an abalone scientist, was telling me about the relationship between urchin and abalone and kelp. Um, yeah. Because the urchin will latch on to the kelp 
and uh, then the the abalone cannot latch onto it. And there's this big discussion up in the up in uh, Mendocino area about reintroducing otters, which eat their urchins, but also eat kelp. And this last year, they outlawed um, red abalone diving right. as a result of it. So I would imagine that you get to see this whole relationship underwater that kelp is kind of at the the center of. Yeah, and I think like as people that are diving and they see these like urchin barrens is what they call them these like deserts and we've all seen them right or like you see just like one stipe of a plant coming up like and it's just like covered in urchins like, i mean we've seen it like so often but um yeah it's a pretty big deal like up in sonoma and mendo like their kelp forests are gone like 90 percent, and it's mostly bull kelp up there i think um so they're struggling yeah. and in the, and I spoke with a phycologist who's, um, from Monterey state and he, he has a, a, a land-based seaweed farm, but he, um, he was telling me he's not that worried about it in this area. He's like, we have enough otters too, but it is an issue. Like we have warming temperatures in the ocean, which is a huge thing. Ocean acidification. We have pollution and sediment runoff from all these rivers and poor farming practices that leach it all and then because seaweeds and kelps photosynthesize right so like they're not producing seeds they're sending spores like mushrooms out in, um into the wild and those have to settle so it's not enough sunlight for those and then they get attacked by the urchins immediately once they spore you know and then they get munched so it's a pretty big issue but it was the, it was the thing the otters were out of balance like down south it was like I think it was like sheephead and spiny lobsters were getting over over harvested too. So the, that was creating an issue because they eat the urchins as well. So now there's talk of people harvesting the urchins and um, feeding them kelp in like cages mm-hmm. and then marketing them for like for uni. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's that's the, that's a great answer instead of just crushing them all. You know, just right. like Isn't killing it them. Two different species of urchins, though. It's like the purple urchin are the smaller ones that are not really great for human consumption, and then right. So the purples are like and they're smaller, and the reds, but they can still be good. There's just not enough food. Oh, I see. I think so in those they're just urchin smaller. deserts, yeah, like uh-huh. there's just nothing for them to eat, but they can just live there. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> not eat anything. Like they don't have a heart or like. A brain <laughs> they're just like ancient buggers like hanging wow. out yeah man it's uh <laughs> when you think about the past here when it was the wild west and we were just taking down otters almost to the point of extinction just yeah. boom like entire ecosystems gone and now you have these scientists that are looking back and like okay how do we handle this? You know, how can fishermen make money? How can we have this be a thriving economy while understanding that we live in this delicate balance where if we get one animal out of whack, it fucks up the whole ecosystem. For sure. I really only started getting interested in this in the last couple of years since Tyler, you and I got into diving. Because when you surf, you're on top of the water. Yeah. You're worried about catching waves. And you aren't thinking about all of the the going-ons that are right below you. I wish every surfer that paddled out at Pleasure Point or Steamer Lane could get an experience of what it's like underneath it. Right. I think it would change their whole perspective on on preserving, you know, uh, the oceans and things because there's so much down there. Right. 
And not only that, but why the wave breaks the way it does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can go the de- bathymetry. The bathymetry. <laughs> the bottom contours of the ocean. You got it. Yeah, man. I, well, you start to see these little canals and you start to see where the reef is. And like, oh, that's why I sit in this exact spot. And, and a lot of that uh, local knowledge is like that scene from North Shore. Remember where Chandler takes Rick Kane diving at Pipeline? It's dead flat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I know. Like. We don't get to look on clear days out here like you do in tropical waters and be like, oh, look at that hole and like yeah. that cavern right there. Like like Pipeline, for example, you just see all those craters and you're just like, oh. Like, yeah, I don't want to get stuck down there. Yeah. yeah. Right. But I mean, we dive in pretty. It's also a conditions. cultural thing. I think that Hawaiians tend to be, it, it, it's part of their history, just being fiercely connected to their ecosystem with the Ahupua systems and it, it just being a way of life, hunting and diving and surfing. Whereas the mainland has um, this kind of like schism between surfing as a sport and conservation and, and the interaction with the ecosystem. It's still yeah, a, little, totally a little bit separated. Mm-hmm. I would say it's less separated in a place like Santa Cruz and up in Northern California. That's why a lot mm-hmm. of Hawaiians and, and Santa Cruisers kind of cross-pollinate. Totally. But uh, it's interesting to see how just how surf culture is predicated upon the history of the area. Yeah, that's a good point. It's not as ingrained. Like, it's hard. It's, it's just a little harder here to, right. like there's so many regulations over there. It's just like a free for all, but people are usually pretty conscious of what they're doing. Right. But here we have to be ultra sensitive to the fact that there's all these regulations. And I mean, we're reporting, you know, every month of like what we're harvesting and how much we're taking and certain species that are protected, but you can take with a commercial license and like just monitoring it. But it's, that's the best part because then you're like, you're just totally connected with what you're doing. You know, you're not just taking and taking as much as you can while it's there. You're like, all right, like I want to come back here and right. harvest yeah. this. Yeah. This is a yeah. garden. Yeah. yeah. yeah for like, selfish like, reasons. I want to, <laughs> yeah. I want to interact with this more sustainably. Yeah. And after looking at it and being out there for five years, you're like, you see the zones that are healthy or come back quicker or disappear. And you're like, okay, like interesting. Like I'm going to mark that on the map and come back and check that one in two months or like, Maybe I'll harvest a little heavier on this side, and then, and then I'll like just just to see like how quickly it'll come back too, um, and it all works out. Right. <laughs> yeah, I went uh, mushroom foraging yesterday. Yeah, and I, uh, mm. saw some uh, chanterelles. It was in your cool. Kitchen. Yeah, man. I sworn to secrecy on the location we went to, the but turkeys. it's it's really similar to what you're doing. Yeah, we went and got some turkey tails, and you see uh, these mushroom foragers have their little zones that they. You know, it's a lot like secret spots surfing. Like, they yeah. don't tell you about it. And then, you know, that there's this little resource there. Was it in the Santa Cruz Mountains? <laughs> it, was on planet Earth. it was on planet Earth. <laughs> I will say no more. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, T-Fox, you've been, uh, you've confessed to me that sometimes you're more excited for winter to be over so that you can go dive. I never said that. Never said that. <laughs> I surf all day, surf all night. Yeah. Don't care about anything else, bro. <laughs> uh, I, I did. I have said that and I, um, I just, there's these new sports like diving is relatively new to me and, and, um, you know, maybe in the last five years I've been really getting into it and it just, it allows so much, um, kind of a, a newfound meditation for me and um 
where I'm, I'm just, it seems like surfing's going the opposite direction with how many people are getting into it. I, I, it's like rare you go out and get a, just a soulful, like you and your buds and some fun waves. And it's like anywhere you go, I mean, yeah, you could still travel and, and, you know, brave, the, get uh, waves, but yeah, it's shark breeding grounds. Sure. I mean, you and I surf, but you were a hundred percent my mentor, uh, as I was getting into surfing Mavericks and, um, you know, there are these days that we're driving up there and the waves are pumping everywhere. And we, I know I've felt this like kind of feel kind of obligated to go up to Mavericks. Cause you're like, okay, this is going to be one of those days. Let's do it. And there's 60 guys in the water and you know that a bunch of other spots are going to be pumping. And we've had those kind of, those conversations about yeah. like how, you know, are we making sure that every time we do it, we're doing it for the right reasons. Exactly. Uh, one thing that I like about you, uh, getting me into that, into that spot, which is so high stakes is that you're very calculated when you approach that wave. And we've gone up there many times when the waves are pumping, the conditions are right, but the fog is rolling in. And it's, you know, you can barely even see the, wa- the, the wave and the fog, as you've told me, is one of the most dangerous uh, factors out there because for if sure. you fall on a wave and then all of a sudden you disappear in the rocks, no one's going to go look for you. Yeah. And we've turned around many times, yeah, yeah, yeah. which has been a really um, good lesson for me as yeah. I'm like, you tend to be a little bit more like, cool, we're, we're out there. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you, for got, sure. you pull me back in. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the- I mean, it's a, it's a conflict that I know that you and I have both dealt with yeah man um it it definitely is and um i mean i love the wave um mavericks is it it is one of the most incredible forces of nature uh on planet earth you know but um i i think it's some it's good to check yourself once in a while and and do ask those questions are are like what what am would i be going out here if there was no instagram would i be going out here if there's not one photographer out here. And, and I just, I, I don't think people think about that. It's like, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> I, well, I think that a lot of people feel obligated to do it. And yeah. you and I are lucky in the sense that our whole identity is not wrapped up just in surfing Mavericks. And you see a lot of guys who come over here from overseas and they need to get a bomb yeah. because otherwise it's part of their job. That's part, that's mm-hmm. our job. Yeah. yeah. And um, you and I have been able to diversify a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I do think that it certainly changes the vibe because yeah. oh, we've yeah. also had big wave sessions, uh, you know, at Mavericks where it's uncrowded or at other spots when it's uncrowded and it's yeah. completely different. It's one of the best things in the world. Yeah. Surfing big waves with your buddies yeah. where you can actually choose yeah. what waves yeah, you yeah, want to yeah. go on. For yeah, sure. So um, but I think that, you know, similarly in the, in the social media era is like, if you, if you aren't there to spot on a big swell, everyone wonders where you were. And the next time they see you, they're like, Oh, what T Fox, where were you? And it's this, it's an unhealthy approach to a really high stakes situation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I've been starting to question how long I want to continue to do it for. Um, because I want to do it, um, like, like I said, for the right reasons and, and do it because my heart's into it. And, um, I love the challenge of say like 
going left where it's kind of a new uh, frontier, you know, f- um, f- for me. And, it, and guys are starting to really um, challenge, knife it. knife it and go, go that direction. Um, you know, and, uh, so that's, that's really exciting, uh, for me, but, but just that fact, like, you know, everyone's like, anytime you go anywhere, it's like, Oh, do you, were you up in Mavs or did you surf Mavs? And it's like, no, I decided to surf uh, two foot Capitola with my girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like I, I just hate feeling obligated, like I have to do it. Right, you've been doing it for so long, though, too. Right? Yeah, I mean, you've been it's, it's, since you're Grom. So my <laughs> my first day was um, they call it a hundred foot Wednesday. I think it was two thousand and one. It was the day that Carlos Carlos Berlay um, won the XXL award for towing into like a 65 footer it was a it was massive and, and the crazy thing about that day was it started out as 15 20 foot and then just incrementally every set was like 10 feet bigger and bigger and bigger and then guys started towing in and that was the actually the day also uh sean barney baron got his covers like soul arching in the pit i remember, remember that, that was an iconic photo yeah iconic you know Sick so photo. that was my f- very first day <laughs> out there it was insane because I caught a few in the morning and it was like, okay, I was on a, this old single fin, um, like 10 foot, just plank of a, of a board. And, um, and where'd you get it? Uh, Doug Schrodel loaned it to me. Yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I got a board for you. It's yeah. Southside Shaper. Oh yeah. You know, and, and single fin, like <laughs> God. Well, who's surfing a single fin? Any Anywhere. Yeah. She's on a single fin out there now and everyone's like, uh, well, that's hey, the way. Yeah, anyone that can pull it off on a single fin, mm. like they're, well, I guess everyone did back in the fifties and sixties. So <laughs> yeah. more props to them. But, um, yeah, anyways, I, I paddled over a few sneaker sets that were like, 40 freaking foot faces you <laughs> yeah. know, 50 it was massive oh, and, nuts, and i was dude. like okay if i didn't make that i i was most likely not going to survive yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah so i paddled over the shoulder and i sat there and i watched you know adam rapogel and flea and barney and all these guys just like start whipping into these monsters and it was i will never forget that day it was like something out of uh your wildest dreams like it would almost didn't seem real Uh, unfathomable how big these waves were coming in and and just morphing on that bowl um so yeah that was the first day and so it's been like about 20 years since since that first day and uh the boards have just gotten shorter and shorter yeah (laughs) this started with a 10 foot board and now you're on how big are the words um, that you write out there? Though? I usually write an eight six or a nine oh. So I feel like that's a pretty good um size range. Um my eight six is kind of for for the uh real clean uh bully days, like you know, fifteen foot, and then my nine oh is basically I'll ride is as big as I like to yeah. challenge it. So you had a little bit of a moral conflict a couple months ago. You called me up and you're like, KT, so there's this photo, and it's of me. 
I'm thinking about putting it on the cover of my magazine, Santa Cruz Waves. Yeah, that is the sickest I've, photo, though. I feel weird for obvious reasons. <laughs> but how do you feel about it? I'm like, send me the photo. I'm like, <laughs> you're yeah, getting barreled on a 25 foot wave. You're okay. Yeah. And it's a photo. Of, it's a photo of you pulling into a massive barrel on Mavericks left. How big was the board that you were riding that day? That was a nine. I had the same question. Yeah. Nine. So that was a nine. Uh, shaped by Travis Reynolds and. Um, yeah, man, I, I, have been really, I've been looking at that left for so long. It's, it's like, um, a, a mega version of a local wave around here that I surf all the time at, you know, six foot. Um, and I knew it was, I know it's, or I knew it was doable and, and it's proved, you know, recently guys are Nick Von Rupp and Lucas Chumbo. They're really like pushing it and, and, and making it happen. Um, but it's very the entry is very difficult. You actually can't be right in the bowl. You have to kind of be on the shoulder of the right to allow for a, a good entry. And then you basically just have to knife your board, like you said earlier, and point it basically down into the belly of that thing, where every inkling of your like <laughs> your your like, your no, your no, no. moral fiber is like do not why would you point your board there no. that's like certain death and that's actually how you have to ride that left is by pointing your board into that freaking pit it looked so. insane dude i i got a, the other day i made a little video and and i got i was on the dinghy that day and i was like t- hit tyler up i was like bro is is that you i think i got your wave and but the way the wave swung in there was, the right was like didn't even break but the, yeah. and it literally looked like a little four foot slop of like a windswell chop yeah. and then the left was like 25 <laughs> it's yeah. the most like i zoomed in on it and i was like oh my but like you can't tell from the angle except the photo he got but yeah he would tell it was like Fuck, it looks tiny yeah. and i was like it, yeah the right <laughs> like looking in the left is 20 yeah. foot and that that's just it goes to show you how much of a bowl that wave is yeah it is a lot of guys are saying it's like the best big wave slab one of the one of the best big wave paddle slabs on earth yeah well it comes in from such deep water and you can get so close to it that's one thing that's so special about it i always describe mavericks to people it's like you can you can yell to the surfer in the lineup and you're in a completely safe spot yeah whereas if you look at a place like port escondido or Or nazare or or, yeah or Jaws, jaws yeah yeah you're further away so close. Um, yeah, it's a special spot, that's for sure. And I, I, one of my favorite things about the whole thing is the big wave surfing community. The fact that we do have these people who are awesome, who come in from overseas to surf this wave. I love it, man. Yeah. And that's uh, you know, one of the reasons that I, I love being there is yeah. just to connect with these people yeah. that are very experience-driven humans. Yeah. You know, as we... Uh, as you get older and older, you realize that people's values change. They start caring more about um, the stuff that they have and how much money they make. And it's yeah. really refreshing to be around a group of people that just want to get a bomb and then come back to the OPL and high five and cheers. Yeah. And it's like you can assume the sense of closeness with people because yeah. at the end of the day, not many people are making real money big wave surfing. Yeah. Like practically no one. Yeah. And most people I would say, you know, even though, uh, 
social media can sort of molest the purity of it are still doing it basically for the right reasons. Yeah. Mm. And it's fun, man. I mean, you and I go up there together all the time. Like back when I had my little Volkswagen golf with, I I put a tow hitch on (laughs) the back of the Volkswagen golf and you and I were scaring the, we were sharing the jet ski and the the jet ski (laughs) that we'd tow it up there in my little diesel golf and the jet ski was bigger than the car. (laughs) <laughs> we'd, we'd strap like our boards on, top. boards on top. <laughs> yeah, we have ten foot boards on top. <laughs> the golf's dwarfed oh, by all. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's one of the best things. But I think that uh, it is important to recognize, you know, as you and I are talking about, you know, are you doing it for the right reasons? And it doesn't mean that. It, I, I just think that it's about maintaining a kind of. Uh, centeredness just around why you're doing it at all times mm-hmm. saying like okay am i still having a good time doing this because because i mean you and i as we've said like it, it's fun to try new sports that you suck at yeah. and life's short and uh it's way too short to become crotchety yes mm-hmm. yeah and you see how For easy sure. it is to slip it into that trap yeah. and people who Definitely. are constantly trying new shit that they suck at and working to get good at it that's the antidote to yep. being crotchety. Yep. That's the iodine to your radiation. <laughs> For sure. Spe- speaking of that, like yeah. my new passion is uh, getting up to the mountains and like s- snowboarding and splitboarding. Splitboarding. And um, I just got my. Um, I don't know if there's if you have too many uh, major like backcountry snowboard listeners but uh i'm like the full kook right now just got my avi set you know i'm all excited (laughs) and um what's the avi set uh it's basically just a uh a set that you can buy on like black diamonds got so it's got your um your avalanche beacon um it's got your uh shovel and it's got your your probe so um, those things are your, your beacon is you, you wear it on your body and um, it, it allows you to locate your friends if uh, you get you get stuck in an avalanche, yep. if you get buried in an avalanche. Uh, and then the probe is for basically uh, scouring the avalanche zone if your buddy um, gets buried and trying to locate him. And then if you find him, then you got to quickly as you can shovel that snow out and try and save your friends so there's a lot of similarities between this sport and i think big wave surfing in the fact that you are truly out in mother nature at its rawest and um and it's dangerous you know and 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 with that comes a certain amount of adrenaline which i think we all like a little bit (laughs) doesn't it have like a vest too where you like you can pull it so you have like a float so you kind of float with the snow yeah there, there's, a, uh, there's an inflatable an similar inflatable to so big wave surfing it. too right. is, is so that like this a direct link. has a, a backpack that inflates much bigger than our surf vests do but there it's it's designed to keep you at the surface if you get buried in the snow so um yeah i was talking to a backcountry skier um named uh tucker Patton. he uh i I was writing an article about the um similarities between the um avalanche rescue uh classes that they teach and brag the big wave risk assessment courses Mm -hmm. that i recommend everyone take if they're getting into big wave surfing nice um it was developed by daniel acuto and cole 
Christensen, um, Cole is a backcountry snowboarder. And he realized how much further along uh, the snow community was than the surf community mm. as far as implementing wow. these um, these changes. And he modeled a lot of that, uh, a lot of the curriculum that we're now seeing in the Bragg courses after Avalanche courses. Oh, that's interesting. But he was, but but this guy Tucker was saying he, <laughs> like he's like yeah. So if you get caught in an Avalanche, like you swim up. Like there's like a kind of how no sketchy way. is yeah. that? You're yeah. caught in a mountain of ice, you and you're no idea where you to are. Swim up. Oh my god! I mean, yeah. how do you know your your buoyancy? Like, I guess like if you pop the um, the inflation, kind of you same fart thing. And see if it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but well, like in the water, you can figure out kind yeah. of after a while. <laughs> I I think um, thanks to uh, Shane Dorian, um, I don't believe there has been a fatality in big wave surfing since the inception of the big wave surf inflation vest. Yeah. I I don't know. We might want to fact check that, but, um, it's Cyan Malowski was the last death in big wave surfing that I'm aware of. Was that, was he wearing a vest? No, he was not. He was wearing an impact vest. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, The the inflation, the inflation vests are um, much more effective. Yeah. And, um, so thank you, Shane, because you've made our whole sport way, way safer. Um, so, sure. but uh, yeah, you gotta get one, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> Who's got the deal? Who's got the hookup out there? <laughs> yeah, have you been making it up to the snow quite a bit this winter? So um, I've been, I've only had two days up there, and uh, thanks to your brother for letting me borrow his boots. um but uh yeah got up a great day with uh nick strong's fittich who Mm. you just had on the podcast we had a a glorious day up at kirkwood um took off at 3 30 a.m and just barged it um got up there right when the mountain opened and uh actually got the first chair on the backside of the mountain so we got freshies for the whole first half of the day it was it was epic and Cool. It is cool uh, how close we live to so much adventure. This is the zone. It's a good spot. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, when, when uh, you were talking about Kelpie and I was thinking about how, man, you can learn everything through anything. Yeah. If you get psyched on something, there is a world to explore within that single subject. Oh, yeah. You just look at surfing. Just start to notice what you see and ask questions and then ask that next question. Next question. Who, what, when, where, why? Like Mm -hmm. become a journalist of sorts about your natural surroundings. And it's going to take you to some really unique places. Just think about like for you, you uh, strike me as a curious guy. Who? Not you. <laughs> Definitely not you. You're just local back. Yeah, just well, who's local. you? <laughs> That's why I love yeah. science, though, because it's yeah. like irrefutable evidence. Like, we can wonder about so many things, which is great. Like, I don't want like, to, like, take that away from, like, the world, the natural world, because I like not knowing things. Yeah, well, there's a lot that we don't know. Yeah, and there's nothing, and we'll never know. And, uh, but science, certain things that we've created these instruments and I can send something into a lab and they could tell me what's in it. Like yeah. the minerals of the earth that exist within that, yeah. that is just like mind blowing to me. Like we are pretty spectacular yeah. species. We're also 
pretty destructive, but we're also pretty incredible. So I think we're incredible, and we I think that we respond to incentives really well. Yeah, so agreed. If you agreed. have incentive to protect your natural surroundings, as you said earlier, uh, where you'll harvest kelp in a certain area, and you don't want to harvest too much because you want to come back to that area. Right. You're incentivized to make a decision that benefits. Um, your natural surroundings. Yeah. If you're incentivized to take as much, uh, as many otters as possible for kelp, for, for, for their pelts, you know, take yeah. those motherfuckers down. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, and, and there can be negative incentive and negative incentives too, right? Because you're not going to take down an otter because the fine is going to be so big that it's not going to be worth it. No, they it. don't taste good. Of no. Right. But also <laughs> you're going to get screwed, you know, if you take kidding, an yeah. animal that, uh, yeah. you know, even just a lingcod that's under right. size and then Department of Fish and Game catches you, that's a negative incentive to take a fish that's too small. Exactly. Um, so you, uh, you can look at a lot of these environmental issues um, in the Monterey Bay, and I think a huge amount of it comes down to incentives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Empowering S- people. Speaking of, of incentives, um, um I was thinking maybe we could segue into a touchy subject of cruise ships. Hello. That's why I laid you up for that softball, (laughs) man. This is not my first rodeo. I just booked my first cruise, actually. We're leaving on a SF. We're coming to Monterey. Mm. Yeah, we're going to spend a great... Princess Cruises. (laughs) You're going to go play... And then I'm going to jump off the cruise ship and (laughs) join the protest. You're going to go play bingo on the Pacific Ocean for a week. Yeah, I'm going to take a T-Fox, tell me about your fight. Um, well, it's, uh, it's a fight that, that started, I think with, um, to give credit where credit's due with, uh, a gentleman named Brent Allen and he's down, um, he's an, he's an ocean activist and, uh, all around good guy lives down in, uh, Carmel, California here, just South of Santa Cruz. And, um, he does paddleboard tours and, and he's just very much a voice for um, the protection of our uh, natural world. And uh, he um, brought it to my attention that there's that the cruise ship, the number of cruise ships entering the Monterey Bay has been increasing exponentially. And um, and that right there is worry, wor- very worrisome to me. And I... Why? Um... Good questions, Kyle. You That's ask me. the hard ones. That's me. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you got? What's your problem with a few old people having some laughs on the, on the ocean? <laughs> For sure. I have no problem with that at all, and I encourage more people to experience the ocean. I just wish they could do it in maybe a different manner. Okay. Why? And we I'll, don't, yes, I'll. We don't hate. We don't dislike the people in the ship. Exactly. It's a, it's okay. a exactly. disconnect so, between when that I was, and when big When I was business. at the protest, I, I wasn't against the cruise ships. I just hated the people <laughs> on the cruise ships. That's what I was protesting. I was protesting You're like, them. If there was as no humans. one on that thing, yeah, it'd all yeah, be cool. For like, sure. I think they're cool looking. They look like the Death Star <laughs> coming into the Monterey Bay. It's just the humans that I hate. <laughs> the Death that. Star for yeah. sure. No, I, I, I think that I'll let you know your your listeners do some some research on for for themselves and and i would just google i would google cruise ships uh impacts on the environment and read articles and um it's just it's a very the more i've learned the more i researched it's a very very dirty industry um from all the people i've talked to in different communities all all around the world it's like yeah they there's 
the amount of good compared to the amount of bad is um is is how do you mean very dirty? very unproportional like old people cheating the bingo <laughs> dirty or <laughs> what are we talking about here <laughs> Um, no, I know what you're talking off. about. There's okay. just, there's one, just one dirty. I'll give you give you a number. So one uh, billion gallons of sewage gets dumped into the ocean annually in the cruise ship industry, and I, I think that's about 300 ships worldwide. It's a lot of poop. That is a lot of poop entering our oceans, and fish love it. Though they, some of these communities, you know, say an argument is, oh, they don't, you know, they follow all the rules and regulations, you know. They don't. They're not. They're not dumping right here in our sanctuary. But they can go out three or five miles, and then basically there's a free for all, and they can dump whatever they want. They're not getting controlled or anything. And it's like it, we're all connected here. Just because you're out, you know, right outside pa- of it. past your little ne- navigable line. I mean, it's just it, we got to think bigger. It's a bigger picture. That's going to enter um, all the. What's the currents? The ocean currents? The gyres. The gyres. The gyres, yeah, the gyres are going to flow to another right. community. So it would it's- justify all of it, right? It's like all these organizations that are in place to regulate um, the, you know, ships coming into the bay or pollution or runoff and agriculture. It's just a justification to bring in business, right? It's yeah. all in the name of yeah, business. business yeah. There's no like moral code, I don't feel. And we can 100%. easily trick our ourselves into thinking, oh, we thought we set up. Like, we yeah. set up a system. Like, it's yeah. all good. Like, yeah. right. sure, everything's all good until shit hits the fan yeah. and everything's not good. For sure. You know? So, I mean, yeah. right. I we're agree. in a sanctuary. Like, sure. Yeah, I mean, well, there, there are plenty of examples of this. You look yeah. at a company like Tyson Foods that is one of the largest meat producers in the U.S., and they... Uh, donated to get Scott Pruitt, the ex uh, head of the EPA, elected. Right, mm-hmm. so they're yeah. also one of the most polluting industries. You look at these massive runoffs that they create from all the animal shit and the uh, fertilizers that they use on the fields, and then they're the ones that are getting these politicians elected. For sure, there are some bad incentives at play. Um, I don't know enough about the cruise ship. Uh, issue to weigh in. I'm really interested in it, and I'm sure that uh, these guys, are, the cruise ships, are bringing in a lot of business. And there is also a legit um, argument there. You know yeah. that if if this is uh, what's creating business for but it's, for local so, uh, industry, yeah. Y- you know there there is I think a certain amount of of pollution that is okay, but. You need to talk to some some sober marine biologists that are telling yeah. you. Well, like, I mean, the thing is, though, it, 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 we have stopped using our common sense with so many things. Right. It's like you have to talk to a specialist and a marine biologist. It's like, look at what's fucking going on. Just you open your eyes and look what's going on and 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 weigh your opinion that way. Like um, as well add science to that as well and talk to as many specialists as possible. But I just feel like that we're, we're lacking in the common sense. Like, yeah, well, it was um, like that lady that when we went to the council meeting to bring, to address this. Right. And we were, we all spoke, there was eight of us that spoke, I think. And there was like 
four or five in opposition yeah. telling us that we need to be more educated. We're like, we're, tr- oh yeah, we want to be educated on this. Don't and we have, and we have, but we're, it was, there was a marine biologist that spoke and this really hit home with being in the sanctuary. She said, I really wish that these, that these people that are in opposition of these cruise ships would take to account bigger issues such as the crab traps that are killing whales and tangling whales all over the California coast. And there's been hundreds, she said, and we're like, oh, yeah, very interesting. She's like, this sanctuary provides no protection for wildlife. Yeah. And I was like, you're a marine biologist and you're, cl- and you're claiming that this sanctuary has no protection for wildlife. This makes, n- why is it a sanctuary? Yeah. Bring them all in. Let's just create a port then, you know, like yeah. it's like there needs to be strict regulations. I mean, yeah, there's no like no um, jet skis allowed in, in the sanctuary, but we can have boats. So, I mean, there are like, sure. But that's an example though, that I think that, um, that that regulation, um, was unnecessary to make there be no uh, jet skis. Oh, I think it, so too. Right. Yeah. So, so this is an example of people saying you could use that same argument. Like, look at the jet skis. Just use your common sense. Yeah, you eliminate when, jet skis, but cruise right. ships, chill. All right. No, but well, no, but, I, no, I, but I was, let, let me make it. Let me make yeah. my point. Is that I think that um, it's important to like. So here, here's the question: Would there be any amount of evidence that would um, get you to drop this campaign? Potentially. Potentially, I think just things at that scale, you a scale of six thousand or eight thousand people on a boat, it it it's, tr- takes a tremendous amount of energy, with all their arcades and their pools and their karaoke nights and this and that to power this thing. It's a floating freaking city. Sure. So, you know, I think that's the big question: is should we? El- have floating cities on the ocean with nowhere to dispose or to properly dispose of their waste and their gray water and their pollution and how much fuel does it take to power these things and what's what's the cost compared to the benefits of these things like okay yeah it brings in some extra revenue for a handful of restaurants where where the tourists get off and they go to their you know predetermined little right. spots and they you know and 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 then what's the cost of let's say this ship ran aground on a, on a reef which has happened elsewhere in the world like the cost to, of Concordia. To, yeah. Well, what, what would happen to our whole bay if something like that that happened? What would be the cost there? That's billions of dollars. It's the oil, I think. That's my that's my the oil. thought. Because, I mean, like if a boat goes down, which happens often, and it sinks, and like, yeah, there's an oil spill or like burns up, yeah. catches on fire, like that's a big issue. But like a ship, that would be the end of like the bay for a long time. For a long time. Everyone comes, most people come from land to enjoy this place. That's why right. it's so fruitful. Yeah. But... I don't know enough about the issue. I would love to get a marine biologist to talk about this more. Sure. I think that there are a ton of issues in the ocean that yeah. people should yeah. uh, take up. And I think it's important that we put our energy into the most important ones. So I know, for example, that just outside of the sanctuary, there are ships that use... A Tankers, kind of, probably. No, there are fishing ships that oh. use a technique where they take a small boat and they basically take out this net and they sprawl it out mm-hmm. and they just do clean up on the ocean floor. A huge amount of the fish that they take out are bycatch. They 
spraying up in these massive well, I heard nets. That in our sanctuary, you're not allowed to do bottom trawling. They operate right outside the sanctuary. Oh, interesting. That's, That's the thing. Is it right? federal? Interesting. It's uh, Might be federal it's just it, where we have different regulations. Yeah. So as you said, you know, fish don't observe observe uh, sanctuary laws. Yeah. They just operate right outside of uh, what's uh, uh, of the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. You know. So as I'm saying, like there are a huge amount of issues oh, yeah. in the ocean. Yeah. And I think that it's important that we take up the most important ones. I'm not saying that the cruise ship is not that. I am totally I'm very interested in getting more educated on this. Yeah. But I always need to ask the question, would there be a certain amount of evidence that would get you to drop this and say, "Well, okay, if we lessen the amount of cruise ships, yeah. that would be sustainable." Yeah. Turns out maybe we're, we were mistaken. Yeah. I don't know. Well, Brent made a good point of the, like, the vetting process, which I'm very in, yeah. in um and yeah, I, I would like to see because there are ships that have a bad track record. It's an ongoing case right now. That's with we don't know who. I it still was. hate the bingo people. That's <laughs> where I stand on this issue. I just hate the humans on cruise ships. I think they should all be thrown off in the Great Pacific Shire. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's something yeah. my grandmother would do. I don't want my grandma thrown up in the well, Great I, Pacific gyre. I mean, I think there's ways. I think there's ways to do all this, and then it just comes down to as as you have done research on is is different types of energy. I think you have, mm-hmm. um, and so looking into more wind powered. You know, there's actually been talks of big ships using almost like kites to to pull them along and things like that, and. Um, I just think it's important we start thinking differently. Right. And I, and I think the way you get people to start thinking differently is by getting them out into nature. It's yeah. not going to be by any amount of information that's going to change their behavior. And are those behavior. bingo players actually getting out into nature? <laughs> they probably go outside once. <laughs> like, ah, sunlight. I'm going back into my indoor pool now. <laughs> yeah. So, so how's this one? The new... Um, the newly launched, um, oh god, what's the name of it? Symphony, Symphony of the Seas. Isn't that isn't that a beautiful name for the largest cruise ship out there? So it's over three football fields long. It uh, it has got nineteen pools on it. Yeah, nineteen. Because why would you want to get in the ocean? <laughs> yeah, well, they're uh, salt water though, so I don't. You know, you're getting the full experience. I know. Bro. It's just these things are getting so. <laughs> App ginormous it's it's ridiculous like yeah. when 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 does it stop i don't know i mean <laughs> i know i look at it too because i don't want to be hypocritical there's tankers there's all this stuff going on it's just we see it we look at what we see and we make an issue of what it's like seeing right. trash on the beach and like this yeah. is an issue yeah or like someone goes to the great you know the pacific gyre like there's a lot of trash out here i have like, a funny story about <laughs> caring about what we see so i was down um at a wedding uh recently in mexico and after the ceremony, everyone lit those um, those lanterns oh, yeah, that <laughs> float off into the distance. Yeah. So they're lighting these these lanterns, and they're made out of paper and metal. They have a metal structure, and uh, they say, "Go off, spirited away," right? <laughs> and it's beautiful, and there's a violin in the background, and Sarah McLaughlin's singing. <laughs> but some of these lanterns have failure to launch. Right, so they take off, and then right in the shore break, they just kind of peter <laughs> out and land, and everyone's looking at each other like shit. 
bad luck. Bro. I should probably go get that, huh? And people start trudging out into the water and getting their lanterns that have failure to launch. And I'm like, you guys, what's going to happen to all the ones that took off? They're just going to land Somewhere. further out yeah. in the fucking ocean. God, uh, but it's out of sight. Out of sight, out, out of, of mind, man. It's out of That's sight. it. We don't see it. It didn't happen. Invisible cruise ships. Yeah. yeah. That's what we're going for. Put the Harry Potter yeah. cloak on them. It all's good. Yeah. Well, I, I think that there's, it. you know, it's really interesting to look at the human mind and uh, look at and get curious about our software and what capacity we have to take on issues. Yeah. Um, because we don't have capacity to take on every issue. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that's a great point. You know, it's like you have. Um, I, I heard a a journalist. Um, shoot, what was his? His name was Ezra Klein. He said, uh, "You have about six bullets every year, so choose your six yeah. bullets really well." Exactly. Um, and you look at empathy and getting people to care about this kind of stuff. A huge amount of it has to do with the story. It has to do with Mm -hmm. how much it's entering into people's lives and, and how it permeates into their consciousness. There's this stat done on, uh, getting people to give money to, um, poor kids in, in Africa. And, uh, that, you know, there was this, uh, this study done on when a pamphlet would get brought out and it said, you know, this is little Jake and his whole family has been killed. And for $10 a month, you can send them to school and they would get a relatively high return rate. And then there would, it would say, well, this is Jake and his sister Jane and they, uh, their whole families have been murdered and their country is in ruin. And for $10 a month, he can send them to school for, and it dropped almost in half the mm. the amount of giving and then you can go one step further and you say this is jake this is jane and there are ten thousand kids just like that mm. and the giving goes down to almost zero mm-hmm. because we can't handle that overwhelm mm. we can't handle just the knowledge that this world is so big yeah. and we are so small and that creates helplessness um, it creates yeah. apathy, yeah. and then it makes it so that you can't do you can't do anything. For sure. I think it, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! You guys got me fired up on those cruise ships. The cruise ships, yeah. like a catalyst for change. Yeah. So, Kyle, it's, what's um, what are some of those top six things that you want to put your passion towards? I think plastic pollution is a massive one. I've been thinking a lot about that recently, and I'm uh, giving a speech out in Rhode Island next month for Earth Day. Uh, it's a cool opportunity um, to, and the, it's an hour-long speech on plastics in our ocean. And I think that plastics is a very important issue because, and this is the way that I'm going to go about it in the talk, is that it's not just an oceans issue. It's an environmental racism issue. It is um, a law issue, a legal issue. Um, It's a social justice issue. And the reason for that is because um, when we see plastic on our beach, that is towards the end of its story. Before it reached our beach, it was being fracked out of a well down in Louisiana. It was put into a pipeline that took it up to Houston, Texas. Along that way, there's an area called Cancer Alley that has some of the highest mm-hmm. cancer, birth defect, water contamination uh, rates in our country. Uh, 
because we get ethane out of uh, plastic. Ethane is made into polyethylene or polypropylene, which is uh, soda bottles, uh, lids, Capri Suns, all the shit we love. Um, it's it's a result of fracking. Mm. Um, and then that product enters into your life for 10 minutes. It then exits your life. It's taken off onto a ship in Asia because the difference between throwing your shit, because, because when you put your stuff into a blue bin, chances are, and I, I want to ask you about this, um, cause I know you've seen it. Um, we don't have the waste infrastructure facilities to deal with all of our plastic. So historically yeah, we've totally. taken it over to China. China now won't yeah, they just banned uh, it. They're over us. Yeah. They're like, yeah. "Sorry guys, you you're, you're yeah. slobs. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> we're creating superhumans over yeah, here. Yeah. You deal with your own shit." Yeah. Yep. And then from there, yeah. they have different environmental standards. So yep. if your plastic is not, uh, if it doesn't, point zero five percent contamination too. If if anything you throw in the recycling bin, if there's residue, right? I just like learned about that from. Yeah. Almost anything, peanut butter. Think of your peanut butter every time you throw yeah, in peanut butter. Right. There's no chance in hell. Yeah, yeah. Peanut not, butter. Yeah, your jars not are getting recycled. That for yogurt sure. container totally clean. There's no. going to be a little bit of yogurt left. Yeah. So <laughs> it makes its way over to yeah, Asia. They just incinerate that shit. So all of the the chemicals that were making these people sick over in America are now making those people sick over there. Or it gets thrown into a dump and blows out to sea. Or it goes into one of these plastic porn rivers that you see on Instagram. Plastic what rivers you know the, the the photos of like it's like plastic porn you know that's what i'm saying i'm not it's not like people fucking in rivers with plastic no no it's like it's plastic porn you know we love like oh my gosh this is so horrible it makes its way out in the sea it goes into the great pacific yeah, gyre which yeah. is these giant giant toilet bowls out into the ocean and then some fish eat it yeah and it makes its way back into us so if you look at plastic pollution it's been framed as an ocean issue a huge amount of the education that i've gotten on this is from uh the people at the story of stuff, storyofstuff.org. Yeah. And they do a lot of good work taking the issue of plastic back and just showing how many people this affects. You you want to hear it? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, a crazy stat I just heard was um, some scientists just tested um, the life on uh, basically the bottom of our deepest ocean trenches and the shrimp and all the little things had every single one had minute traces of plastic yeah. in their bellies That's at the like bottom of the ocean thousands and thousands of feet yeah. at the deepest darkest depths of our ocean <laughs> yeah the so it, it is it is infiltrating our it's next level no, it's, it's everywhere it's, and yeah, we're getting insane. trash from everyone's country i mean like we're, it's washing up on our shores from right. Japan. I mean, like we're it's we're, it's all interconnected now. Whether it's radiation from something, but right. that's the dark side of it all. But it's like, what are we gonna do to fix it? You know what I mean? Like, well, go I'll tell you pick what we up, do. I'll tell you what you do it for trash. what to fix it. This is what a uh, campaign that that uh, an organization called Break Free from Plastics is doing. It's a coalition of thirteen hundred mm -hmm. environmental organizations. They're doing beach cleanups all around the world, and they're identifying the largest plastic polluters in the world. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, bring your own bag, bring your own bottle. This is yeah. great. Individual action is very important. 
important, but these corporations are way, way bigger than us. And if you can get them to change their supply chain, like what uh, REI did, they figured out that they had to wrap their clothes in plastic, but they realized they didn't need to, pl- they didn't need to wrap every single t-shirt in plastic. So that instead of doing one, they would do a hundred. Mm-hmm. You get REI to change just one practice. That's going to be way more effective than you bring in your own coffee cup every day for the rest of your life. And I think that there are these, uh, so Break Free from Plastic, they identified Coca-Cola as the largest plastic polluter globally. That's where we got uh, our our um, winner for the Motherfucker Awards, Coca-Cola, right? And they have this campaign called Hashtag Is This Yours? So you get a Coke bottle or, you know, all of their... Uh, the water bottle companies that they own make this big pile and you say hashtag is this yours yeah. because they're only going to change if they realize that they're losing business yeah. and they're getting negative PR right. as a our result choice of to right. yeah. consume yeah. their thing so are they I got a quick question are they the number one plastic producers or are we like are we as, as humans are we as the consumers are, we're the, I mean, we're the problem. We're making the choice to support an industry, right? No, we're not. That's the thing. We're not. So check this out, man. In 1970, there was this big, uh, there was this big campaign, um, to, and to, to, let me start this. You know where the phrase litter bug comes from? No. You know, you know that term, right? It was from this organization called keep America beautiful, which was a conglomeration of plastic companies. And they, on 1970 earth day, they launched this campaign. It was this native American. He was rowing through this river of plastic. Mm -hmm. And then the camera zooms in on his face. And there's this one tear that goes down his cheek and it says people start pollution. People can stop it. And this organization, keep America beautiful was, um, Behind it were corporations that knew that they had to frame the conversation as you're the problem, you deal with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rather than what I think is much more important is to say, fuck you, corporations. <laughs> you are producing this this product yeah. into an environment that you know full well has no waste infrastructure to For deal sure. with it. And you're privatizing all of the costs and you're externalizing all Oh, you're privatizing all of the profit and you're externalizing all of the costs. Yeah, that makes okay. sense. I think it's it a mixture of both. Sense. But the thing it, but here's the here's the deal is that if you yeah, I think that for sure we should be more um, take more ownership over ourselves, our decisions, our actions, but everything is working against us because you have PR agencies that are spending billions of dollars to do everything that they can to get you to buy this Capri Sun and they have neuromarketers but you you have influence you have influence you have a lot of people listening to your podcast I have influence Ian's got influence so if we all said hey stop instead of saying throwing in the towel saying hey your choice really matters your day-to-day every single choice you make Mm -hmm. on a daily basis matters and if they every person listen to this they have their influence. I, I think it's a two part. I think it goes both ways. I think that it's ninety ten because if you get because hmm. the, here's the thing is that yes, I, I think that it's important that you yeah. make your individual. I've only got ten percent. <laughs> I think that if you, it, I think that if your choice is You're to wrong. shame one of the biggest plastic polluters into yeah. changing um, just one. Uh, shift on their supply chain mm-hmm. that's going to have a way bigger impact than you bringing your coffee cup for the rest of your life mm-hmm. yeah, oh, yeah yeah you should uh, totally. do that but i think that that is where 
um, activists can have a real impact mm-hmm. beyond just individual decisions. I infiltrate. We, we should we should make a. I, I, I hope to be friends with you since uh, until I'm like ninety. We should make a little wager here. <laughs> okay. Who, whose uh, advocacy? You know the the the. Yeah. Yeah. The, the choice versus the, the choice producer. versus the. Yeah. The what are you shame. What are you talking about? No. These. He wants to make you a bet what's the, of who, I mean, sure, who changes sure. first. What's the bet? You're going to bring Tyler? your coffee cup for the rest of your life. If I'm able to shame Coca-Cola into changing one aspect of their supply chain in one day, I'm going to have a bigger impact than you could in your entire life. And I'm not saying yeah. that your individual choice, it doesn't matter. It yeah. absolutely does. Yeah. But these corporations are way, way bigger than you. Yeah. They have massive influence in government, and we're not going to be able to turn the tide unless we call them out. Sure. So yeah. what they have done is to do everything in their power to get the conversation focused on you, yeah. the individual. You take responsibility. Meanwhile, we're going to do yeah. everything we can to get to sell you these products. Mm-hmm. And I think that we need to shift that in the same way that you can't like, yeah, you want to blame a heroin addict for their choices? Like, yeah, for sure. There were some choices that that you made. Sugar that, that, is pretty addicting. No, uh, heroin. But <laughs> I'll tell you who else you can blame. Purdue fucking pharma for marketing Oxycontin as non-addictive so that when you blew out your knee and you got this massive prescription to start opioids, then that got you addicted. And I think that they should bear some of those costs. Oh, for sure. Right? Yeah. And it's so the individual decision, like, yeah, get yourself off heroin, but the tide is working against us every day. We have to, and I do think there's a massive amount of power in opting out, but I think there's also a lot of power in calling out these companies. For sure. sure. Yeah. And, and that, and We're, I think it's so, I, oh, you guys got me fucking fired. Was, up. Was, <laughs> hey, it was beautiful. No, I down the fucking world. Right, right, Jesus I love Christ. It. No, KT. And I love it. And, and I, I have to applaud you on the, the, can we say motherfucker on here? Oh yeah. No, you can't. Okay, that's right. Well, I don't know. Is, is there like is there like so ratings I'll, I'll just, on podcasts? I'll beep it, dude. When you uh, but, when um, you come. No, big big uh, tip of the cap for your motherfucker awards, dude. That was awesome, and anyone listening should get tickets for next year because it was such a awesome call out to these corporations. And I think things like that, those events are going to make them listen because um, it's spreading. You know, like, yeah. like it is spreading that, that our generation is had it up to our necks with their bullshit. So, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's why I said, I think that plastic pollution is a really interesting issue because you can come at it from so many different angles Yeah. beyond that. Just the, the connection between the oil and gas industry and government. And mm-hmm. I thought that you guys made a great point earlier about how, you know, we think that, oh, there are laws made and. Um, we're all good. No, we're not all good because there are laws made that are uh, are made so that these corporations can exist and expand and they don't need to take yeah. responsibility for the impact that they have. And you know what? There's some good people out there doing amazing work. I recommend people check out Break Free from Plastics. Um, I recommend there's a new company. You dig this uh, that I just learned about called Loop. Uh, they work they're working with uh, like Procter and Gamble and uh Hagen Doss, and they're creating these refillable uh, containers that are shipped to your house with the product, yeah. and then you ship it back when you're done. Mm-hmm. And they're going live in, uh, I think it's France and New York first. Right on. But That's, cool. That's epic. What one person can do, another can do. Heck yeah, dude. I think we <laughs> fail to it. realize yeah. 
that when little Cindy goes home from school every day and she realizes the trash is overflowing, she has a conscious choice to make. That's her dad that's running Kraft or Coca-Cola. And we're just all fucking people with heartstrings to pull on, you know? And it's like, that's the disconnect where we look at an industry or something like that. And it seems like it's this power, like well above us. And it's your, it's your next door neighbor. It's like, it's well, your, not our next door. Neighbors. Not ours, yeah. <laughs> I, no, I, well, I but think I, I, th- this is an important point that, uh, these people who, who are running these corporations are not necessarily bad people. They're no. just people, they're but just they're people. caught in a system where the incentives are so bad that they are forced to do everything they can to make as big a profit as possible and externalize all of their costs onto society. Yes. So I think that one big shift that I hope happens in our lifetime is um, ending corporate personhood. Um, ending the fiduciary responsibility for a company to make as much profit as they can every single every single quarter. Uh, yeah. quarter. Yeah. And yeah. you have companies like Patagonia, yeah. that's a B Corp, yeah. that uh, subscribes to a different model where you yeah. can take a hit um, to make a better uh, choice for the natural world. Mm-hmm. You know, I, right? When I was starting this when my, with my business, Sequoia, I, they were trying to make me choose an entity for like these specific areas, you know? What are you, a corporation, you're an LLC? I was looking at this business structure and I was like, does this identify what I'm doing? Like, who created this structure that I need to choose what you've, you've dictated for me? And I was look, thinking about that, and I was like, there's no law in the natural world. This is all created. So I chose individual, <laughs> sole, sole proprietor. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'll play your game for now. <laughs> like, but I'm not going to succumb yeah. to your, your, you know this patriarchal society yeah, that was, yeah. <laughs> and it really is and i'm like dude it's enough of us yeah, you yeah. know like let's we've already we've already dug ourselves deep so i'm like yeah. let's shift the paradigm like what if we create a new one you know like yeah. it's and it's happening and it's happening every day and it's and you wake up every morning it's your choice what right. are you gonna do that day yeah you know it's this is all this is human created there's no you can't negate the natural law of the world you know <laughs> yeah well and, brought in na- into nature i think that that's the the first step you could because no one's going to make any behavioral shift because of information it's going to ha- happen because they identify part something within them that's deep yeah. is um wants to protect it you know, and, and you have that when you're out there alone, gathering kelp, scaring across the rocks like a little sand crab with your knife. <laughs> you know, that makes you want to protect that uh, because you're spending yeah. your time out there. Well, that's what I want people when to when you're in the belly of the pit on a Mavericks beast. It makes you want to protect that because you are finding uh, a more true version of yourself within the yeah. reflection of nature. And you know what? We're all going to die one day and maybe we'll make it. Maybe we won't. But life's way too short not to get out there and get after it. God damn, That's you've got it, some eloquent bro. words. Thanks, man. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> let's go let's feast. Uh, feast on some Canton. We got some. What do we got? Some chow mein coming and some some Brussels sprouts and some all that good stuff. Lemon chicken and all the other. <laughs> all right. Where are we going? Uh, I want to finish on Snoopy and. um Charlie Brown real quick. Okay. Charlie Brown said once, we only live once, Snoopy. 
Snoopy said, wrong. We only die once. We live every day. Whoa. <laughs> that was Oof. epic. God, Bring in that's fire. Where can people uh, find you? Oh, where's uh, your, your business? Uh, yeah, thanks, brother. Um, sequoia.com, like the tree. Got the name from the Redwood Sequoias in relation to the Macrocystis Forest in the Sea. Direct connection. Um, sequoia.com. Farm at the farmer's markets and town, Santa Cruz, over the hill, Palo Alto. And Ian, yeah, we're getting out you. there. Thank you, sir. And T Fox, Santa Cruz Waves Magazine, which I am proud to be a contributing writer for and at Zorro Del Mar. Yep. Anywhere else? You got it. Um, yeah, and just uh, at Santa Cruz Waves, we post a lot of uh, pretty images and some. Um, uh, informative information as well. Informative information, yeah, man. <laughs> and, and I love it. You, you just you, insightful you a, information. You do. Well, you have a yeah. great editor, and uh, I love writing for you guys. It's uh, it's a blast to be able to hone that craft. Yeah, brother. All right. Thanks, Kyle. Thank Bye. you, Kyle. That was epic. That's our show. I'm going to play out with a song called Mermaid Legs by the Getaway Dogs. They listened to the show and they sent me some music. If you are a musician and you want your music played, uh, send it over to info at kyle.surf. That's also where you can send voice memos, uh, get in touch with me about guests, um, recommendations for the show, whatever. Uh, don't forget, the box of goodies are almost gone. If you want yours, you can head over to kyle.surf. Um, and snag it before they're gone. That's also where you can donate on Patreon. If you can't do any of those things, don't worry about it. Keep listening to the show. Share it with a friend. Um, give it a rating on iTunes. That helps a ton. It takes about 30 seconds, and it helps boost the visibility of this show. That's it for now. I've uh, got some trips coming up, as I mentioned at the beginning. hope to meet some of you in human form. Uh, I love it. I'm batting about a thousand on people who listen to this podcast, who I meet, who I really genuinely enjoy hanging out with. All right. Get out in the water. Uh, It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful world. I'll see you soon. Bye.
Stepped on cracks, broke my baby's back one 